Hey everybody, it's me, Dylan, from the Netflix podcast. It's been a while since we last spoke. I do apologize for the delays. Unfortunately, I had some stuff come up, both on the professional and the personal side of things, but we are getting ready to come back with some kind of release schedule. I have absolutely no idea what that is. So first thing we're going to start off with, I guess what you've downloaded now, is another bonus episode. Uh, The reason for this bonus episode was... From the last time we got together, we were talking about the movie Jaws with Jeremy Hobbs and Victor Laurentis from Retromania at the Highland Cinema. And as it turned out, that conversation went on for a really, really long time. And sometimes people are less likely to listen to things when they see that they are two hours long. So since I'm a sneaky bastard, what I decided to do was to split it into two episodes. So the first one was the one you already listened to, actually talking about the movie Jaws. And now this is the second part. So the idea with this part is talking more about the history of Retromania at the Highland Cinema and about Victor's career in theater projection, as well as the current state of cinema, including the relationship between traditional film prints and digital prints. And and really, it's it's a love letter to the idea of getting to the theater and seeing movies how they are intended to be seen. So if that sounds like something you're interested in, then just stay tuned. There's not going to be any introduction or anything like that. Uh, well, that's what you're listening to right now. Uh, we're just going to get right into it because it is really just spliced together from other parts of the conversation you already heard. So I'll see you back here at the end for a little bit of a wrap-up. And before we get started, I do need to let you know that, as always, today's episode of the Netflix podcast is brought to you by UnLondon's 121 Studios. It's London, Ontario's premier digital media hub and co-working space. I haven't been here for about a month, and the place is booming. As well, there's a pretty bitchin' sound studio here now that I am recording in. It sounds amazing. It looks amazing. Uh, If you're in London and you need somewhere to record or somewhere to work, then be sure to check out 121studios.ca for more information. teenager uh i was uh an arts art school student i was a beale art student and uh i was about like 17 years old and there was this really great repertory cinema it was like i think at the time the only repertory cinema in london right it was called the new yorker and it was right at the corner of richmond and york street downtown and uh they just had really great programming they would play uh you know, uh, art films at the time. I remember seeing a lot of stuff there, like Jim Jarmusch's Dead Man or Lars von Trier's Breaking the Waves, you know, stuff like that. But they'd also play older cult films like uh, Terry Gilliam's Brazil, like Taxi Driver, A Clockwork Orange, like this kind of stuff. So I would literally, I got obsessed with this place. I would literally go there like three times a week, basically, or something like that, right? I would just go there and spend all my money there and see all the the new films and stuff because it was providing an alternative to, you know, like the multiplexes, like at Silver City. Well, yeah, that's the thing. The thing is, Victor was the projectionist of The New Yorker, but we didn't really know each other back then. I'd seen him a few times, but I was always scared to approach him because he always seemed really angry and unapproachable. (laughs) And so I was always like, I'm not going to talk to that guy. But anyway, I I, I wound up getting to know Victor years later. We we, uh, were formally introduced years later after I had graduated and after the New Yorker had closed down 
And, you know, we started talking about our, our mutual love of film and, and of celluloid in general and all this stuff. And he was working at various other theaters around town. And there were, there were people, uh, you know, that were, they were showing some, like there wasn't really an art house cinema anymore, a repertory cinema, but there were some places like Rainbow and so forth that were showing, uh, like maybe on a weekly basis, they'd feature like one art film. And they were, they were showing it in like tiny little theater that had been, yeah. it was a big theater that had been like trifurcated into three smaller theaters. And so there was no real optimal uh, place to see like uh, independent or art films in the city, but then uh, how many years ago was it for Highland? Now, like uh, the end of '04, beginning of '05. So yeah, so so around 2004, um, uh, these people that we know um, uh, opened. They they reopened uh, the Highland Cinema, which is one of the older theaters in London, uh, which was built as in the for the 20s or 30s or 40s. I guess. It was 1933. 30s, right? Yeah, right. but it and, had been um, closed. For sixteen years, yeah, until we until '04 when we reopened. Yeah, it had been it had been opened and closed like several different times throughout the whole. Uh, what, what was the original name of it again? It was the called Elm the Elmwood. The Elmwood, right, right, right. And then in '55, Odeon bought it, changed yeah. it to Odeon. Then yeah. Cineplex bought Odeon, so it became Cineplex Odeon Highland right. till about '88, '89, and then right. it was closed. I uh, I actually my dad took me there to see ET like right when it came out. Yeah. When I was just a little kid. I went there. I was just a ET. little boy. It was one of the first films I'd ever seen in a theater. Steven Spielberg, ironically, also the director of Jaws. And Jaws um, played at the Highland in 75 for a little bit. Interesting. interesting. Mostly it played downtown at the Odeon, but it right. did, did play a little at the Odeon. Well, right. this couple, um, this uh, cinephile couple um, uh, in 2004 uh, reopened the theater as, as an art house repertory cinema. And Victor subsequently became the projectionist. And so for a couple of years there, they were... Uh, you know, screening independent films, art films, uh, did alternative programming to what you could find at the multiplexes like West Mountain, Silver City, and so forth. You know, and they, and they still had retained their 35 millimeter projectors and, and yeah. kept them after uh, the digital, uh, the advent of the, di yeah. the digital apocalypse. We're still ready to go. Dig digital Armageddon. It's the Holocaust. So they are, they are the only uh, theater left in the city that still has 35 millimeter capabilities. So we decided... Uh, you know, we, we were just talking, uh, like some people were, um, you know, renting the theater out for private screenings. There was this one film student uh, who would just like book the theater on a Friday night and show like 2001 A Space Odyssey or Clockwork Orange. And, you know, his, some of his, uh, you know, fellow students or peers or whatever would, would uh, you know, come out and, you know, yeah. and they were really fun, but they, they weren't very well attended because they weren't really like big public events. They were just sort of like, uh, he just sort of privately screened the stuff. But it was neat because we saw the possibility of, hey, wait a minute, like we yeah. could just... Uh, you know, we can book the thing kind of after hours and we could show like Blade Runner or 2001 or, you know. And so we, we had this idea that we kind of pitched to the uh, the theater owners and we said, you know, we are interested in maybe having a monthly event where we uh, show like a class. Because their programming doesn't, unlike The New Yorker, like it didn't really involve like older films, like showing classics and cult films. It was mostly just only new programming. So yeah, you'd never the, get to see. The reason is it's so hard to show old films and get people to come and even show the greatest film Everyone loves it, but they they won't come because they think, oh, I can watch that anytime I want. You know, not thinking, but if I go to the theater and watch it on the big screen, I'll really enjoy myself. Yeah. So it's hard to sell an old film, even at the New Yorker. It was back in the '90s. It was even harder. Something's actually changed that I like these days, where we can actually 
you, you know we can reach yeah. an audience and well we have this kind of excited to come retro draw hence hence the yeah. name retromania of like uh you know in this in the advent of like uh everybody's downloading movies and watching things on yeah. their cell phones and their ipads and like uh you know and like netflix and and uh, hulu and uh, like all this stuff um it's like to actually be able to go to the cinema like 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 a cinema not just a theater but an actual cinema and you know get your popcorn and everything and sit down and just hear the whir of the projector come on and see that beam of light like coming down from the projection booth and see the, the flicker on the screen and actually watch a 35 millimeter print of a film on celluloid which you can't really do i mean you can there's not very many places where you can do this anymore because essentially every multiplex every movie theater in a mall every everything in a uh you know a complex or compound or, or uh even most of the theaters in in, in in Toronto, Tiff Bell Lightbox and so forth, are you know digital and um, it's become you know, so rare. To yeah, find you a theater can't. That's um, showing something on film. You, they do have thirty-five million projectors at Lightbox, but but they also have digital. Uh, yeah. Um, but but it's just that um, it's just such a rarity to be able to see a film print now. You know, w w like for for better or for worse. You know, I mean. Uh, sometimes even the, the you know the the uh, the cons of film prints like you know like the pops or crackles well, or distortion yeah. they, they kind of make up a nostalgic kind of uh, you know like they're charming in a, in a sense you know customers really are always asking me at the Highlands so you yeah. got digital now right so and they know we still have the film and I say yeah we still have our film and we got digital well what's the difference and so what I my answer is uh, digital is better maybe than a bad print but uh if it's a good print it just blow there's yeah. just no comparison yeah. the film blows the, the the digital is so bland and dull in comparison especially if you could see there, it there's a two dimension side by side two dimension yeah you know type quality to it I, I always compare it to to vinyl versus cds you know i mean uh when you listen to a CD, it's 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 perfect. It's you know there's there's no mistakes or distortions. It's crystal clear, you yeah. know. And so, but there's this there's kind a brick of flat, wall though, lifeless where it impression. Yeah, that it just magic. has you know some of the life sucked out of it. It's sort of sort of like a two dimensional snapshot of of a song, you know. And then you put uh, a vinyl record on, and it's just you know sometimes there's this pops or crackles or hiss or whatever. But when you hear the music. There's just this warmth to it. There's this analog warmth. Uh, you know, it sounds like uh, you know the band is actually in your living room playing the song to you personally, and it's kind of like that with the film versus digital. I mean, yeah. digital. So some of the digital cameras they have these days are you know crystal clear, and some of the image quality it's actually you know can be sharper uh, the focus and everything than than celluloid. But there is just an unmistakable quality to celluloid. There there is a you know there is just a depth and a warmth to it. It has a, just a, a feel to it. Just the sort of the grain, the way the the, the blacks look, the shadows details and things it's like um it's sort of alive yeah. in the way that like say a, a, a tube amplifier for guitar is alive as opposed to a solid state yeah. amplifier you know and two things i'll argue on that is when digital looks super sharp that sharpness is often coming off resolution like there's actually less resolution you're seeing less information but you've got those sharp lines all over the place and yeah. your eyes just yeah. oh my god it's so sharp and, and then it's so clean it's almost the too best clean film sometimes. print can actually surpass it digital in sharpness and detail yeah, yeah and it can also go the other way but uh it's just depend it's all print dependent you yeah, know the quality yeah. of the film print you're watching yeah I, and i've seen some great looking digital stuff you know i've seen some great looking digital films and i've seen some some really beautiful stuff you know that's been shot like the uh polish film ida that came out a few years ago or like uh the recent film the revenant you know um some of these films are are very gorgeous looking but i've never in my life seen like a digitally shot film or a digitally projected film that comes even close 
to, to, to making me feel the way that watching like an actual celluloid projection does, you know? Yeah. You know, and I, because I see it every day, like it's in my face all the time. And plus I'm seeing film a lot too. I just see the weaknesses in digital, like from a mile away. Yeah. Like I can, yeah. It's just so obvious to me. But I remember way back when it was first happening, I was like, oh yeah, this is awfully good, I guess. Film's got a problem here. Almost um, too good, maybe yeah, <laughs> one could say. I but had a, no. I was tricked. Like I was fooled, just like everyone else is fine with this mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. fooled. It's not. It's not nearly as good. It's a good. Uh, it tries to duplicate what we already had, and it falls short of it. And we should never, have, you know, dismantled the entire film industry to go yeah, digital with yeah. this. Like something way better than this maybe sure yeah people are always asking me you know like why do you hate digital so much and why are you so anti-digital stuff and it's, it's not it's not that i it's not that i hate digital and think that digital shouldn't exist because you know many people prefer shooting their films digitally and like i said there are many beautiful looking films that were shot digitally and and sometimes you know uh you know it's just more economic for people to have digital projection and things like that but i i think there should be both like that's yeah. the problem the, the problem, problem is, is that that they got rid of all the 35 everyone. millimeter projectors all the warehouses that are storing 35 millimeter prints now are destroying the print they're junking the print they're not just selling them or giving them away they the the digital you know conglomerates and so forth don't want these things in circulation because because it you know it ignites competition so they're they're basically destroying all of the 35 millimeter that's the key everyone Um, behind digital wants film not to exist yeah and so i don't have a problem with the fact that digital does exist but i don't think that it should be like this juggernaut that's saying we're just going to plow over celluloid we're going to make you destroy all your projectors we're shutting this whole thing down we're destroying all the prints like it's no more Mm -hmm. it's just digital from now on like i think that's very fascist and 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 you know very you know inappropriate i think they're i think the world is big enough for both celluloid and digital to exist in and i think people should have the choice whether or not they want to see a film this way or that way filmmakers especially filmmakers uh you know most filmmakers especially young filmmakers and independent filmmakers that don't have huge budgets and they don't have a lot of clout in the industry yet are forced to make their films digitally um some people like i said for certain types of subject matter and things would prefer to shoot something digitally but a lot of the time people don't have a choice and you get these people like Quentin Tarantino or uh, Christopher Nolan who have the clout and you know they have the 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 heft in the industry to say I'm shooting this film on film you know it's happening you know but for for a young up-and-coming filmmaker that's maybe you know just got a couple short films under his belt or maybe one small feature they, they don't have the ability to just say I'm doing this thing you know, in 70 millimeter or whatever, you know, it's like basically I think people should always have a choice. Well, I think the next big step for Quentin and Paul Thomas Anderson and Christopher Nolan is to encourage young filmmakers more mm-hmm. to, to try a little harder to yeah. shoot on film if that's what they really want yeah. to do. Because you can still shoot on 16 millimeter yeah, and there's... A, a Super 8. You know, it's very expensive, but, you know, it can be done. Um, we should we should just go back uh, really quickly and, and finish what we were saying about Retromania itself. Um, the thing that we're doing at the Highland Cinema, basically we, we, we sort of uh, pitched this idea to the powers that be that, that it would be cool if, if once a month we could just sort of take over the theater for one night in the tradition of the Midnight Madness screenings that took place in New York at the Elgin Theater in New York throughout the 70s. These legendary screenings, you know, it started with uh, El Topo, I think, was the first one. And then there was like uh, Pink Flamingos, Eraserhead, Rocky Horror Picture Show, The Harder They Come, all these films. Uh, and they would just screen them at midnight all the time. Yeah. You know? And, and we played would... all that stuff at The New Yorker. Yeah. And, yeah. and late 70s, early 80s, everything we played just packed the place. Yeah. All, like, the, all that stuff. If you had 100 people, and the place had 450 seats, if you had 100 people, that was considered a failure. So, right. oh, better not play Jaws again because it only did 100 people. Yeah. We want, yeah. you know, 300 people. 350 but, uh, people, But, yeah. wow, 
we didn't know how good we had it because by 1984 with video, yeah. you know, VHS kicked in and home home video. For sure. Um, everything changed. Like it just started descending. Couldn't really play old stuff anymore. Every, every, we had to change to art and international stuff. And then drive-ins died all overnight at the same time. Yeah. Because there used yeah. to be a lot of drive-ins. As, would, as did Teenage Fornication. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> with with, with the, the drive-in went the... Uh, yeah, the makeouts. So um, not not until Netflix and Chill brought that back. Right, right. And Netflix and Chill has, has reinstated the the, the, teen, the, the teen second makeouts. baby boom is coming in about uh, yeah in a couple year years, or so. Yeah, yeah. yeah, two two three years from now. About nine um, months. Yeah, we're not screening the films at midnight. By the way, we're we're, we're usually screening them about eleven. You know, because there's a seven yeah. o'clock slot and a nine o'clock slot. So it's the, the best the of both have. worlds. It's not too right. late, but it's not too. Early. Yeah, you still get the kind of midnight vibe. You know, because you'll be in the middle of the movie when it turns midnight. But it's yeah. just a little friendlier for people that have to work Saturday morning. We these these things usually take place on the last Friday of each month at 11 o'clock uh, at the Highland Cinema. If you live in town, it's on Warncliffe. What is the actual address? It's, two it's uh, 240 Warncliffe Road South. Yeah, Warncliffe Road. It's just west of Wortley. It's just on the other side of Wortley, right in between um, Duchess and uh, what's the other street? Elmwood. Elmwood and Duchess. Yeah. But yeah, so, so we've been doing this now uh, for seven, about seven years, which is really crazy when you think about it. I mean, it always, it always seems like in my head, it's like we've been doing it for like three years or four years, but it's, it's been like, this is like, I think year seven or something. Yeah. And, uh, and so, uh, yeah, so basically every, at the end of every month, you know, we, we, we play a classic film, sort of a, like a cult classic, um, something that the people love, uh, and, uh, and people come out and, uh, and they have fun with it in the in the old school uh, midnight madness traditions. Uh, you know, sometimes uh, the crowd, you know, sometimes is, is uh, a little r- more ruckus than you get at just a regular screening of like the the what is it the best marigold hotel or. or, or <laughs> but or, I've uh, been surprised how like quiet and respectful mm-hmm, a lot of crowds mm-hmm. have been. Like they're just well, they're not disrespectful. Fans of the movie, and they want it's not disrespect. It's it's more like just you know you'll get a lot of cheers when something happens, yeah, yeah. or you get a lot of clapping, or yeah. you know there'll be like really epic death, and everyone will erupt into into clapping, or when something funny happens, you know everybody laughs together. It's sort of a communal experience, you know. And we try to we try to alternate genres too. Like uh, like if we play a horror movie one month, we'll try to play like a fantasy or a comedy next month, and then we'll do like a gangster movie the next month, and then we'll do uh, maybe like a musical or something. We've we've done everything from like. You know, uh, John Carpenter double bills to uh, uh, we did the last waltz. You know the uh, yeah the, uh, the the Jonathan um, I mean the Martin Scorsese uh, film about the band and and we've done uh, you know everything from from Labyrinth to the Princess Bride to Terminator Two to Alien to, to we've done Phantom four, of the Paradise yeah yeah we we, we try to to keep uh, the genres on rotation we've done four David Lynch films right we've done Eraserhead Blue Velvet Wild at Heart and Mulholland Drive yeah. Um, yeah, we've done the thing. Uh, what other John Carpenter? Uh, we've done Halloween. We've done a double bill. Big Trouble in Halloween. Little China. We did They Live. I want to do the, the in the mouth of madness. But yeah, yeah. We're currently uh, trying to uh, trying to find a print of uh, Escape from New York because yeah. the, is it the thirty fifth anniversary? It is the thirty fifth anniversary. One other thing we should mention too is is that when we started doing this, we were basically screening every film in thirty five millimeter. Yeah. Uh, we were we were just you know every retromania was a 35 millimeter screening and then the whole digital apocalypse came and the theater had to buy a very expensive digital projector which which they're still to this day set back because of yeah um, this kind of happened overnight too. yeah just bang one day just like you got to go you either go digital or you go to business and so what happened was a lot of like basically all the little independent uh, and repertory movie th- theaters like all across North America 
uh, possibly even the world, right? Like yeah. um, they, they just, they either, it's like shit or get off the pot, right? It's like you either had to pony up this incredible amount of cash to get a digital projector or you just went under. You know, it's like yeah. you either you either take out a massive bank loan because they put it. They said closed down. They set a deadline yeah. where you better be digital by this yeah. time. And they were really encouraged too to get rid of the 35 millimeter print. Like some companies even offered like a great discount, right? Sony on, uh, did. Sony, yeah. right? Okay, uh, maybe we shouldn't say that. <laughs> um, a, <laughs> certain, uh, a certain a uh, certain uh, company uh, that might start with the letter S. Uh, yeah, they now they're now discontinuing. Would, would tell people digital projection. You know, they'd uh, they'd offer uh, you know a great discount on the digital projection equipment if the, the people would would junk the 35 millimeter projectors. But Highland. Uh, unlike most other theaters in town, well, all other theaters in town uh, kept their yep, thirty-five we're the millimeter only projectors. That kept our thirty-five millimeter. So even though all the main the main programming, you know, is being uh, projected digitally, we we still have the thirty-five millimeter capability. So so we continued to do these retromania screenings on celluloid yeah. for We've as long as we possibly could. Yeah. And, 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 but it just started getting less and less the amount of, the amount of availability of films. Like first we'd say, you know, have you got this? Oh sure. Have you got that? Yeah. And then it was like, have you got this? Mm, not that, but we can give you this or well, uh, you know, and so and it's just why. been getting, you know, harder and harder and harder as the years go by. I mean, it used to be, you know, most of the things we wanted, we could get on film and a couple we'd have to screen digitally, but now it's almost like most of the stuff we have to screen digitally and, we, and we, every once in a while we're, we're lucky enough to get something on film you know why most people don't know why because all the studios they they would just they would store all their film prints their catalogs at one central warehouse mm -hmm. let's say in toronto for ontario and uh but every province would have the same thing and every uh state had a warehouse or two where they stored everything from a to z you know any year they all had it in there and they they uh, saved money by having one central location well, they yeah. all decided, oh, you know what? We can save a whole lot of money by not bothering with the storage of all these film prints. So let's just scrap them all. Let's destroy them. So that's what happened pretty much overnight. Yeah, yeah I remember one time we were, we were looking into a Peter Greenaway a print uh, for some reason, not for retro, but for something. I think we were like, trying to find the pillow book or the cook, the thief, his wife, and her lover or something. And, uh, and I remember they were just basically like, no, they're all gone. You know, like they're they're. I said, what do you mean they're gone? No, they've they've been destroyed. They don't exist anymore. And I said, so you know, you don't have any more prints of the Pillow Book in the country. And they said, no, no, no. Of all Peter Greenaway films, they said you just there's no Peter Greenaway films anymore in the country. Maybe even, you know, <laughs> in yeah. the, the continent. Um, I you know so, some prints are you know like they're archived in like the Museum of Modern yeah. Art or the Film Archives or whatever. These are not prints that are, are lent out and shipped around to theater. I mean these are like archival prints. So there may be like one print of this or that in existence, but it's not anything that you could get your hands on that they would take a chance uh, damaging or losing or anything like that. So it's basically just entire legacies of filmmakers are just gone now. Like entire you know canons of films. Uh, you know, by these great directors are just completely yeah. unavailable now. And some of the distributors around here that did keep prints, didn't destroy them, sent them to Montreal. So there's a warehouse, I guess, in Montreal. So if we play something from there, we have to pay shipping there and back where, you know, Toronto was a whole lot. We had actually a service from Toronto, so we didn't pay extra. We just, like, they deliver, even to this day, uh, mm. DCPs to us, you know. So if there's a film print, they just throw it on the truck. And uh, but now we would actually have to pay the shipping from Montreal and back. So I'd like you both to answer this then. So when you do Retromania, and I think Victor, you mentioned that when home video happened, 
it wasn't just this okay the the world is changing a bit like there was a noticeable change where like theaters closed and industries changed right so in this world now where we've kind of empires crumbled we've had cities fell where we've had this happen again i would assume that digital streaming has also had a negative impact yeah well back in like 84 that's when it first happened because of home video right but then you had the digital switchover right. which happened you know overnight after uh, avatar right because all theaters had to have 3d because avatar was like it outgrossed titanic right right so that's what made it happen overnight and so that's when all the film prints went away and it was really hard to get film prints now we can still get them and we we do our best no, no other medium really is going to give you like the sort of in, in, as intense or as epic an experience as seeing a film in an actual theater. Yeah. You know, there's a great David Lynch uh, snippet on YouTube, you know, it's turned into a meme, you know, where he's talking about like, you know, how awful it is that people are watching like these these great classic films, you know, on their fu- fucking telephone, as he says, <laughs> and then ends it with a get real. And so he was just talking about, you know, like, say, you know, somebody watching The Exorcist for the first time or something on their telephone while they're like, you know, sitting in a park or something. It's just not going to happen. It's basically you're the there impact. with the audience watching it live and there is yeah. no pausing. Well, yeah, there's an energy as well when there's all these other people yeah. there. When you're in a room full of other people and you're all having this communal sort of collective experience, you know, there's kind of an energy that happens that, that would be different if you were just like sitting on the toilet, like watching something on your phone or something like that, <laughs> or just laying in bed kind of half watching. I find, I think, and this is just a personal thing, but, but I think films should always be watched uh, or at least as much as possible, or when you see a film for the first time or whatever, you know, I think it should be the bigger and the louder it is, uh, the better. The more isolated you are when you see it, you know, because I've gone over to a lot of people's houses where they said, oh, yeah, come over, we'll watch this thing or whatever, and they put the movie on, and then, you know, the phone rings, and they're talking mm-hmm. on the phone for five minutes, and they come back, or they go into the kitchen, and they're like, oh, you want some popcorn, and they're they're making food, and the, the movie's still playing, and they, you know, it might be like a really great film, Becomes or it might be very suspenseful. Yeah, it's like, and then they wind up saying, oh, I didn't really like that, I didn't really get what happened there, did you really understand that, or I couldn't really follow it, or it was too talky, or I didn't really get it, or, 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 or it was something like this supposed to be really scary like maybe it's they, they're this is the first time they've seen the exorcist or the shining or something and they're like eh, i didn't really find it that scary and it's like well because you were talking on the phone and That's making popcorn and you left pet and, peeve you know horror. you went outside and took your blue box out and stuff you know and then came back in and said oh yeah no it's pretty good but i think the when you go see a film like some people have really great home theater systems you know like vic vic's got a great system i try to do my best with what i have you know so when i have people over to screen a film you know i i turn it up loud i turn all the lights out if anybody has to go to the washroom or make a phone call or anything i'll pause it you know i'm trying to preserve as much of the theater experience as possible but ultimately you know when, when you're actually in that theater like when you actually take the time to, to go to your house and drive to a cinema and park and go in and buy a ticket and everything you're kind of locked into this experience you know i mean it's kind of it kind of it kind of helps you focus in a way because you know you may have to go up and run to the washroom or something in the middle of the movie but 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 essentially you can't really get away from it i mean you're, there's a giant screen in front of you the sound is turned up loud you're watching these huge images flickering in front of you and you know you're you're really there you're immersed in the experience i mean you can't really look away i mean you're almost like in the thing whereas you know a lot of the technology we have now like ipads and iphones and you know or small computer monitors or somebody some people even like watch something in, in a window on their monitor while they're also on facebook and twitter and doing all this other stuff and so there's a lot of uh 
room for distraction you know what i yeah. mean but but when you're in the cinema even just like watching a movie in the daytime like if you're home even if you have a nice tv and you turn it up loud i mean if if it's the daytime and the and the light from outside is like you know you're not in a dark room and, and, and a, lot, a lot of times uh hd tvs like lcd screens and stuff you know don't uh work very well if there's if the room is light you know um, they're supposed to be in a completely dark environment it's like for you get the basic viewing. information of it, but you yeah. don't get the experience. Yeah, because there might be people outside arguing or car horns honking, or whatever. There's there's a lot of distraction that can kind of in certain yeah. ways. And like so many people take for granted experience. that it's the experience you want to seek out. Like, mm-hmm. Yeah, like the film itself is like the raw material that's worth that, it. The ex- the the benefit of the doubt. Give it your all. Give get the experience. It's interesting that you called it the truth. I I just think that's really you know from hearing you both now talk i think that yeah. that's really like what what you guys are doing is not it's not for novelty it's not even necessarily for preservation it's for the most authentic immersion possible being yeah. as in touch with how the thing is supposed to be seen we as possible we love it we're kind of in a way doing it for ourselves <laughs> yeah we're, we're both being everyone you're just justifying yeah we, we're both like genuine cinephiles like movie lovers like film buffs like we both grew up watching movies and going to movies and being like teenagers and going to see movies with our friends and going to the drive-in and just you know, just just loving the experience of like you know cinematic escapism and being told stories and being able to escape into different worlds you know and Vic you know obviously has worked at a lot of theaters as a projectionist you know he's worked at just about every theater in town and he's worked at the drive-in and 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 all sorts of different types of theaters and you know and 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 so you know you know we've really sort of lived this before you know combining for joining forces and creating retromania I mean we, we were both just independently even in our own private lives, we'd go to see movies a lot. We'd watch movies a lot, talk about movies, collect movies. Like we just, there's just something about, uh, you know, the sort of. I've I've always found for me, like people always ask me, you know, like why do you love movies so much as opposed to you know sports or books or whatever, you know, and uh, and f- to me it's almost like I almost look at it as sort of like traveling, you know, like I've never. I've never had a lot of money and I have friends that, you know, they travel all over the world. They go on backpacking trips all around Europe and they're always going to, you know, the the Bahamas or Greece or you know, doing these huge trips. And I've just I've been to Europe, but I've just never had enough money to be one of those people that every year like goes off on some two month long voyage, you know, in, into Japan or or something. And so I've always found that. Like when you watch a film, it's almost like like a little portal, like the like the the frame, the movie screen or your TV screen or whatever is like this little portal into another world, another place, you know. I mean, and sometimes it's geographic. I mean, sometimes you know you watch French films and it's like you know you're kind of like for a little while, you know, you're in France or you're in Paris, you get to see the Parisian nightlife, or you watch a film in Japan and you get to go to you know uh, Tokyo temp- Buddhist Shinto Buddhist temples and. And, uh, you know, or or see, you know, like rainforests or mountains or you go to Alaska or, you know, all over the world. But sometimes even like entire different worlds, you know, you watch science fiction movies or fantasy movies or films that take place in medieval times or like a, a film like Quest for Fire or something. And it's like literally like a time machine where you can go all over the world. You can go into different realities, different times, different places, different uh you know, yeah. dimensions and have these experiences. Like I'm never going to go to the moon, but I feel like I have when I watch Apollo 13. Like right. I went right around it. Didn't land, but. Ro- Roger Ebert famously said, you know, in his later years when, when, when he was very ill and, and, and writing memoirs and stuff, and he said that films are like, it's like a machine that generates emotions. You know, he said a, a lot of people have a hard time in their day-to-day life showing emotion or feeling emotion a lot of us get kind of detached or jaded or we have a difficulty relating to one another or we have a difficulty kind of slipping into uh, a place where we're kind of open 
uh, emotionally open, you know, because a lot of people are very guarded and, you know, and uh, and films kind of it's almost like a magic pill that you take. You know, it's yeah. like Alice in Wonderland, you know, it's like a blue pill, red pill kind of thing where you are allowing yourself for a couple hours, maybe 90 minutes, maybe two hours to sort of open a part of yourself up that. Yeah you know is 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 open to feelings and yeah emotions. and retromania at the highland cinema gives the flux capacitor full power right right <laughs> yeah Eight, 88 miles per hour yeah when you, when you hit 88 miles per hour at the highland you you just you're you know you're, you're traveling you're in the shit yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, when i when we took a break i was outside and we're a skip hop and a jump from the first theater i worked at just over there on clarence street and then the second theater I worked at is a few feet over this way behind me and uh then the third theater just around the corner which would be the new yorker yeah just a couple of streets away yeah. from the new yorker and i was like uh i was like 11 tw- and then you know from 11 on i worked at those theaters. so are you worried because of how things are and how you've seen things go or are you inspired by the fact that the highland exists and that things like what I've, you're doing exist or yeah, from, it, well, it, from 2004, when the Highland, when we reopened it, I was, like, so relieved that we had, oh, my God, we have another New Yorker-like cinema in London. And it's a real cinema with a history built as a cinema. It's not a building turned into a cinema. It's not a place where we do screenings. It's a, it's a real movie theater with a history. In, and in that, the genuine old-school sense yeah, of just cinema. Like the print has a history, the building has a history, and the movies have a history, you know? Um, if it's a new movie, it's the beginning of its history, you know, beginning yeah. of its story. And Victor's got this, th- this theater really, really tweaked out. Like a, like a lot of, a lot of theaters now, like they don't really have somebody that's conscientious enough to say, is the projection hitting the screen at the exact right angle? Is the masking uh, perfect for the aspect ratio of the film? Is this lens the proper lens to project this thing through? A, 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 they fired like a lot of the multiplexes and the big, uh, multiplex theaters, you know, they fired off all of their like career projectionists when they went digital. Now they just have 15 year old kids working like a minimum wage high school job they just go around and press a button here press a button here oh this film's ready to start just hit the button and then you know things go wrong all the time there's digital fuck-ups and sometimes like you know the lights will just come on or the curtains will close or there'll be like a sound problem or something and nobody's up there conscientiously like watching the film saying oh this i have to troubleshoot like it's just like somebody's got to go out and say uh there's a huge problem in theater four and then you got to wait for them to fix it or get your ticket refunded what victor's doing at the highland is 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 really trying to preserve the the real old school experience of like a night out at the cinema, you know? Yeah. Like showmanship. Like, you know, he, he installed these curtains and, you know, he made the curtains are always closed when you go in, there's music playing, there's kind of ambient lighting, you know, everybody sits down and then the lights go down, the curtains will open, you know, it's very, you know, the volume level has changed, the lights fade out, you know, they come up when the, when the credits, you know, come on at the end, you know, the, the find your way out of the theater lights will come on and just, you know, and it's just like, you know, he's made sure that the masking is right for the film, that all the films are shown in their proper, proper aspect ratios, that the proper lenses are being used, you know, that, that it's, that it's, you know, as good, as good as we can make it for the the resources and budget and everything that we have yeah you know and and it's a nice theater i mean it's got a decent sized screen you know you go there you know victor's very conscientious and obsessive about the projection and making sure that that each film is shown at its optimum that it's that it's going to be the best it can look for what they've given us you know depending on how good the dcp is how good the transfer is how good you know the materials that are that are sent in are it's going to be as good as it can be thanks jeremy like I've worked at all the other theaters, the multiplexes, Silver City, all of them, when it was still film, and they were doing film wrong then, and they're of course doing digital wrong now. Right. You know, uh, so it's not just, only have they, 
isolated themselves off to this one stream. They're yeah. not even well now they think it, it down needs no attention. Right. It's all you know, like a CD perfect sound. Program, I remember whatever. going to see. I think it was Thor: The Dark World, or yeah. maybe it was the first Thor movie, and I saw it at the Rainbow in 2D, but they still yeah. had a 3D lens on. Like uh, a, well, so it was really dark. Did yeah, it, it was really, really dark. dark. Yeah, yeah, that's a huge. Well, that pet phenomenon has happened a lot, but uh, at Rainbow. There's a couple screens in there that used to do 3D and don't anymore, but there's high gain silver screens and they kind of ruin the image, whether you're watching 2D or, I mean, it's necessary for the 3D to work, but it ruins a 2D image. It's like awful, like it, it hot spots and you can always see the the shine of it, yeah. like like pixels right. sparkling at you. So this is really- In a France, thing. they ban silver screens because they really care about cinema there. Right. Why we don't, I don't know. So but this is a thing that- can be really yeah. meticulously cared for. Oh, yeah. And yeah. because of the automated movie-going yeah. experience we have, it's just kind of you get what you get, and you assume that that's the only option there There's is. There's a lot of laziness, like, prevalent. And I'm not not knocking anyone specifically, you know. But, like, institutional but, laziness. But there, yeah, there, there, there's, like, uh, well, there's that, too. And then also just on the part of, of, like, how they will. I mean, you know, they used to hire people like Victor that, that had a whole, like, lifetime's worth of, of practice and expertise and knowledge about the cinema. I mean, this guy knows lenses. He knows film stocks. He knows when something doesn't look right. He knows when the bulb of the projector is starting to get too dim and it needs to be replaced and stuff, right? And they've cut all these corners, firing, like, the career projectionists off and hiring like uh you know like 15 year old kids it's like their first job they're getting paid minimum wage to like work at a theater just like going from a theater to theater pressing play you know on the on the you know dc or the computer to activate the dcp or whatever and not uh, the fault doesn't necessarily lie with these kids because it's like they're just working some job you know and they're in grade 10 they want to buy a car or something they're just working some minimum wage job i mean it, it is you know, at a higher level, the sort of laziness or corruption. But it's one of my hugest pet peeves, though, is is that, you know, like these these clueless young projectionists will just like leave the 3D adapter, uh, you know, on the lens in like these multiplex screens. I remember my friend Patrick and I went to go see The Social Network, the David Fincher film when it came out. And I remember, you know, it came on and we were, we were just looking at each other going like, it can't possibly have been filmed this darkly. Like, I mean, I mean, David Fincher is a dark guy. He's a dark filmmaker, <laughs> but not this dark. I mean, it was this is a film about the advent of Facebook. Yeah, mostly you barely takes place it. in the I went daytime. There to the same theater. Yeah, and it's just like it's just like ninety five percent of the screen was like black. Like it was just like it was so dark. You know, and there'd be scenes where you know uh, Jesse Eisenberg and uh, Rooney Mara would be like in a like a like a club, at like a restaurant or a dark kind of bar, and it was just like. You, you almost couldn't see anything, you know, and then I've had this happen with various other things You know, I, I saw the King's speech the same thing happened and uh, my friend's father actually the same friend's father I went to go see something and, and said that it was just like unwatchably dark, you know, and it's because they will just you know uh, You know, they have to have a certain type of lens or certain type of adapter on the projector for a 3d screening And because of that they compensate with the 3d DCPs, you know, where they will they will uh, Like a print would be printed lighter. It would be more uh, it would be a lighter, brighter, more vibrant print. And then with the DCPs, it's like the levels are bumped so that it, it compensates for, for the extra, you know, lens or adapter that has to be on there, you know, which they know is going to take away some of the brightness and darken down the image. So they will specifically deliver these movies with a much brighter, more vibrant image. But if you just leave that set up for a th one of these 3D screenings and just put on a regular film, then it, that it is considerably darker than it's supposed to be. And you have like, especially scenes that take place at night or in darkly lit rooms or whatever, just become almost like unwatchably dark. Also, if you sit off center in a theater with a silver screen, the whole screen will be dark. That's not right in front of you. 
because that's how silver screens, high gain screens work. They just reflect straight forward. Mm -hmm. It's a little better if the screen's curved, but it has to be curved just right. You can't just curve it the way some of the newer builds mm -hmm. are curved. They're not curved correctly. And uh, there's also the same issues we had with film. They're not changing the bulbs. The bulbs are getting too mm -hmm. old. They get dim and they're not cleaning the windows. If they're not cleaning the windows and they're filthy, just a dirt one, a dirty window will take up yeah. to 15 to 20 percent of your light. Then you've got a 3D lens that's in front of the actual lens. So you've got that covered in dust as well because they never cleaned that since they went digital with a dim projector bulb. Yeah, and with a, a dim and projector a bulb. 3D so adapter what do you and you're a, see? you can't expect to have a clear image if the very window that you're projecting through is all dirty and covered in fingerprints no. and stuff like that. All right. Well, gentlemen, thank you so much for one coming on and doing this and having this conversation and doing this podcast and two for doing what you do with Retromania and uh, you know trying to remind people about what all this is like, but choosing the stuff that we want to see, which is also the stuff that you want to see and, and really giving me a reason to get out to an actual theater and not just cynically pay more money to Disney for Marvel movies. Thank you, Dylan. This was fun. Yeah. And thanks for having us and thanks for uh, helping us, uh, you know, s thanks for supporting our retro events in the Highland cinema and just uh, independent cinema in London in general. I have to say this one last thing, and this is really important. Jeremy does all the introductions to all our movies. That's another part of this. He introduces every movie, and he, he does it so well. Like It's, it's uh, part of the experience, and there's nothing like it. I, it's a crime that we're not taping every one of his intros, <laughs> and I've been plant, trying to work on this. But uh, anyway, he gives you interesting facts about the movie. He gives his take on the movie. He, does, he comes at it from many different angles, and there's nothing like it. There you have it, folks. That was the rest of the conversation with Jeremy and Victor, all about Retromania at the Highland Cinema and the state of movie making. Uh, thank you so much for joining us for this episode. I look forward to getting back on track with releasing original episodes, getting back to uh, talking to guests, talking about movies, talking about all the great things that are on Netflix. I've got some pretty exciting stuff lined up, as well as some ridiculous stuff, so don't worry. Uh, even if it's not coming out on the weekly schedule that you were used to, I am still planning on making this thing happen and getting it out to you whenever I can. Uh, if you want to support the show, there are a few ways that you can do so. One is by rating, reviewing, and subscribing over on iTunes. Even if iTunes isn't how you're listening to the podcast, it is still the dominant platform in podcasting. So head on over to iTunes.com or download the iTunes app and please tell people about how great this show is. As well, we have all sorts of social media presences. You can find the Netflix podcast on Facebook, Twitter, Tumblr, uh, you can find me on Twitter and on Letterboxd. I believe I've got links to all these on the page. If not, then uh, I don't know, just search for it. Do a little bit of work. You can also check out our blog at netflixblog.wordpress.com. If you check out the post about this episode on the blog, we'll be sure to include notes and links to all the cool stuff that Jeremy and Victor are working on over at Retromania. Thank you very, very sincerely for listening to this week's episode. I apologize again for the delay. And I look forward to getting back together and talking with you all soon. Thanks very much. <laughs> <laughs>